Hi, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Uh, good. How's it going with you? Great. I'm totally discombobulated. I was so ready. I was <laughs> so like eager. It's been a couple weeks. And then we just got derailed for, I think, 30 or 40 minutes <laughs> trying to just get uh, your voice into my ear zone. We've just got to bring some fresh energy now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That was, good. Uh, that was good energy. Good. So this is our first, um, I don't know, in my notes were to th- that I was writing down today about the movie we're probably going to talk about, I called this a quickie-sode, although I don't know if that... I don't know about that. I don't know if I like that, <laughs> that, that second thought. Plus, it's not really going to be quick. It's just going to be like a segment one. So what we're doing is uh, to kind of alleviate the production burdens, we're going to do, we're going to tackle a holds up movie every other week. And then the uh, off weeks, we'll just do our regular discussion about movies that we saw. And um, if you don't like that, listener, you can take to the internet, take to iTunes, and leave us an angry five-star review demanding that we (laughs) resume the weekly, uh, and we will hear you. I might do that. (laughs) Oh, is that? But I can never log into iTunes proper. Oh, you weren't talking to me. No, I was talking to the listeners, but you're, I mean, you're technically listening. I'm a listener. Yeah. I listen once, maybe twice every week. Wow, really? Yeah. I never listen back because by the time I've edited, I'm good and done with the conversation. It makes me happy. I don't know. Just I will. Ret- I know that I will return to it when I have enough distance and I don't remember editing it and I don't remember what we said and it will delight me, I'm sure. Well, it's really good for introverts because it's like having a friend, but you don't have to be there again. Sure. You know, so it's like two friend interactions, even though you only really had one right. that's not sad at all um it fills me with life so well, that's good then yeah well i've been away i went to orlando florida land of fake rocks and um i'm back so we must have seen a lot of movies since we last talked i saw a few um was it the happiest place on earth is epcot still there Epcot is still there. And you know what? Epcot, in my memory, was kind of the lamest of the parks, but I might have had the most fun there as a vacation dad going around. We did that uh, the Disney dining plan, and Epcot was our last day. We had a whole bunch of snack credits left, and we just went around that lake where you go around the world, and they have all these little bites of international food. And boy, that was a real hoot. Is it like actually good international food? It is. I've never been. Disney has like this, you know, leftover reputation for just being kind of chicken nuggets and pizza and crap, but they've actually worked really hard to up their game. And there are people who appear to be uh, genuine, you know, nationals of the the countries they're representing, making some very delicious food that we enjoyed very much. That sounds great. I've seen some people on Twitter who are upset about changes at Epcot, so... I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Well, it's overdue. It still feels like what the 80s thought the future was going to be, which I like because yeah. that's kind of like nostalgic for, for our you know era. But um, but yeah, it's considered to be a little creaky. So there there's a lot of changes coming. And a lot of them are based on uh, Marvel and things like that. So people aren't too thrilled about that. But the cool thing about the Guardians of the Galaxy coaster that they are apparently constructing is that it is going to be a time traveling 
ride through the past of Epcot. You're kind of traveling with the main character, Chris Pratt's character. And so they're going to actually resurrect things like some of the old dinosaur exhibits and figment and all these things. So you'll actually, it'll be a nostalgic Disney ride as well as a uh, cash grab Marvel ride. CG. Yeah. Hey, so we had a very good time and the the kid had, had fun and, and wasn't as whiny and complainy about rides. So we all had a very nice time. And It's great when they get older. Yeah. Isn't it? Yes. You don't have to like watch them every second. Right. They're probably okay. Yeah. If they ran around a corner. For sure. The one thing that um, disturbed me was that we got, every time we'd get into a park, she'd be like, all right, where's the merch? I want some merch. <laughs> my eight-year-old child kept using the word merch. And it was, merch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know where she heard that. So I think, in my understanding, we have both seen two pretty big movies. One that's swiftly faded into obscurity already uh at astra doesn't really dominate the you know film twitter conversations these days and then uh, another very zeitgeisty title but is there anything else uh that you've seen yeah we went to judy oh should i talk about judy sure i have a ticket for it tomorrow night no wednesday night all right well no spoilers then So it's a biopic, obviously, about Judy Garland, of course, Renee Zellweger stars in the titular role. And I kind of didn't know what to think about it, because in one way, it's a creaky, old-fashioned biopic. And the one thing they did right about it, which was to clearly portray traumas from Judy's past that led to her tragic end, the tragic past is also incredibly one-dimensional and unbelievable. So it seems like this is just a big gloss job, maybe more fit for Hallmark than the cinema. Hmm. That said, it's not a bad way to spend two hours. I found the movie to be enjoyable. Uh, Zellweger, you know, she goes over the falls with the performance. I'll say that. I'm not sure if it's like a great performance or if it's something that I'd put at the top of my awards ballot. Um, She's sure to be in the conversation. Some people are looking at her for the win. Um, I think some of it's a little bit of a tortured impersonation. And then there are other parts where I can't even find Renee Zellweger in the person that I'm looking at. Like I was almost distracted during some of the musical sequences that I'm looking at this performer and I can't see the actress in there. That's very, that's very strange. But anyway, um, it is this one slice of her life. And I like that they did it this way. It's after she's kind of washed up and she's in debt. I mean, Judy Garland's never washed up, but you know what I mean? Her, her star is faded in the U S to some degree. Of course she has a fan base, but she is in debt And she's not in demand as she once was, but she's still incredibly popular in London and people want to give her gigs. And so she goes to London, even though she doesn't want to, because it means leaving her children behind and she wants to be there for her children, um, though she's really not able to care for them with her addiction. Um, She ends up in London and some of the performances go well and some are disasters. And a lot of it to me is is just going through the motions of an alcoholic and addict who is uh, moving toward a a sad end. Hmm. And it's, you know, you learn a couple interesting things if you don't know too much about Judy Garland's life, which I don't. 
um, I understand from people who are diehard fans, though, they don't really like the movie because the stuff that is involved is well known. So it doesn't break any new ground. It is really one dimensional and it kind of blames everything that's happened with her on a few events from her past that probably were formational, but at the same time, don't tell the whole story either. So it's a, I don't know, I probably give it a two and a half mm-hmm. to three star worth worth your time if you're interested in Judy Garland and if you are interested in the awards derby this yeah. year. Yeah, so your your thoughts are pretty much in line with what I've heard and it's not very exciting and yet I, I still think that I'll enjoy sitting in a theater and watching it. Um, totally. It, it To me, it, it uh, sounds like... Do you remember film stars don't die in Liverpool? Um, is that Annette yeah, Benning? as uh, Gloria Graham. And it, I didn't see it. It's just another movie that's like a, a kind of a standard melodramatic biopic that takes a slice from the very end of a, of a star's life, you know, and then kind of reflects back from there. Um, and, 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 but it's all about the performance. Right. So is this. All right. Did you see something besides our two? Um, I don't think I did. Yeah, it's Ad Astra and Joker, I guess, is what is Great. left for me. Let's talk about All it. All right. Uh, I guess since Ad Astra is not really, uh, uh, you know, hot embers at this point, we can just kind of um, give it a little shout out. I think we both liked it. I think you enjoyed it a little more than me. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Yeah, I really liked it. And I like it more as, you know, being a little removed from it. So this stars um, Brad Pitt as a pretty accomplished astronaut in the not too distant future his father's a um a legendary astronaut who had a mission going out to the furthest reaches of the solar system and we don't really know what happened on that mission he was assumed to have been lost but it has been discovered that he is there and somehow what he's doing with his mission threatens the solar system there are these bursts. I didn't understand the science of it, but that was beside the point. Um, so they send Pitt to Mars in order that he might send a message to his father, because maybe his father will listen to him. And he ends up having to face um, lost connection from his past and ends up sort of finding some connection in his present. Um, I really thought this movie was beautifully shot. I liked the pace. I liked the mood. I really liked Brad Pitt's performance. I didn't think he was overly stoic as he might have been, and he also wasn't a basket case as he might have been. I liked that they glossed over the science because, of course, most of it is preposterous. Why did they need him to go to Mars to record a message? Couldn't he have done that from Earth? You know, simple, simple holes like that. Um. And you're you're really in the bottom of like the engine area as you're trying to stow away on a rocket ship from Mars. It's going to right. Neptune. It seems like that you wouldn't be able to survive that. Yet the does. timing of the edits there um, was so really. I was like, whoa, what? What is yeah. happening? I know. I felt the same way. But to me, as a as a big picture metaphor for the lengths we go to chase after connection and love that we've lost. And after people and situations that aren't interested in us, um, to the detriment of the relationships that are right in front of us, and we even end up doing it to the people who want to connect to us. I thought that was a a powerful idea, and it worked really well, yeah. um, story wise. And this will be in the back of my mind as kind of one of those movies that wasn't super popular or the talk of the town, but that I'll remember really liking afterwards. 
Yeah, I I really appreciated what is special about the movie, and that is the style, um, the fact that it is kind of a um, a movie of feelings, a movie of um, tones, and that it doesn't get bogged down in science. That it does have some very interesting bursts of action an incident but it's not uh, i wouldn't call it an action movie it was a nice kind of mix of things it didn't get too it wasn't like to the solaris end of just being kind of introspective and quiet and dull it was interesting all along and it had a, a really solid performance at the center uh, i guess what i what i detract points for just just subjectively some of the dialogue I found perplexing, some of the details of it. Like I really loved the, the feeling and the sound and the, the experience, but um, I don't know. I feel like some of the characterization, some of the supporting characters and some of the scenes were very perplexing. Maybe if I see it again, uh, although I did, I explained to you the night that I saw it. I, I've seen the middle act right. of this movie twice already. <laughs> Because I saw it in the big, loud uh, AMC Dolby. Do they have a, a Dolby theater at any of the AMC theaters near you? I mean, that sounds like a familiar thing. I don't watch that very closely, yeah. though. I feel like I've seen that as a Well, choice, they make though. a big deal out of it. And there's giant red speakers all up and down the walls. And then they show obnoxious uh, interstitials before. And there's there's one when you've already seen too many trailers, you've already seen too many little interstitials. Then another one comes on to say this used to be black, but this is Dolby black. And then that ends. And then it says the projector is still on. And it's like, just show the movie, for God's sake. Um, so it was that theater. Right. And there's a problem. The, the black that they're so excited about, it gets all murky and pixely. I've seen countless movies in there and now I try to avoid it. But it was the best time this time. Whatever. Point is hour into the movie uh sound cuts out and does not come back for 20 minutes or so they came in and they said that they couldn't fix it so they were going to let everybody uh they were going to transfer everybody to the 9:30 show it was like it was like 7:30 so oh, those of gosh. us who didn't want to do that found out there was a showing that was delayed a half hour in the theater next door and we just went and planted ourselves in there so i did get to spend extra time with uh the middle section everything from the baboon scene to when uh he finds out he gets to see that classified video of his of his of his dad um anyway i minor things i will see it again I, i'm eager to give it another shot because i did enjoy watching it i probably would give it uh three stars maybe maybe more with it with another with another go yeah, I'd give it an extra half. Um, I feel like we should mention, you know, Tommy Lee Jones. Mm. I didn't know he was in this. Yeah. You know, Ruth Nega, Liv Tyler, who loves the space movie, and uh, Donald <laughs> Sutherland. Yeah. Um, it, those were they. Those characters were almost afterthoughts. I mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was Brad Pitt and bit characters for sure. But um, yeah, exactly. You wouldn't think anybody was in yeah. it, but Brad Pitt. Uh, and someone pointed out with uh, Sutherland and Tommy Lee Jones that it it could function as a space cowboys uh, sequel or reboot. Sure. But, um, yeah. I feel like Brad Pitt really cements himself in the awards race with this performance, even though his once upon a time in Hollywood will be the one probably that gets attention. If he would somehow end up a dual nominee or make it in some places and lead actor yeah. that can only help him. Yeah. He had a real challenge in this movie. Whenever you play somebody whose life is mostly internal and whose whole shtick is that they're stoic it's it can be an excuse for an actor to just kind of turn off all the valves 
and you know do a lot of eye acting and mugging but he he i don't know he really made it um and he played he plays a flawed character um and who manages to be sympathetic and manages to go through something that is um palpable you 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 really feel with him yeah i liked that they had psychological evaluations throughout and it it just uh, was a gauge as to how honest he was able to be with himself at any moment mm-hmm. and i liked those yeah. scenes reminded me a little bit of um the blade runner 2049 had uh, a different context had a character who had to keep checking in with psychological evaluations that i can't um, relate to <laughs> All right. Um, well, then there's Joker, the twisted mind. You get Joker. you get to introduce right. this one. So Joker is um, directed by Todd Phillips of Hangover fame, Hangover one, two, and three fame, and um, it is an origin story for uh, the Joker. Mm-hmm. It is an R-rated uh, character study, providing an in-depth origin story for the joker that um has bits and pieces of origins uh from the comics but is really its own thing as a film they're still claiming this is a standalone movie that it's not trying to create a new universe that it will not have sequels however it uh broke october records so they might be rethinking that at this moment uh he's uh, joaquin phoenix is arthur fleck who uh is a down on his luck mentally ill loner who um, lives with his mother he's on meds he has a a social caseworker who um, he checks in with on a regular basis he we find out he has spent time in psychiatric wards uh, as we also find out eventually has his mother a series of unfortunate events befall him and he begins to unravel it gives us a Gotham city that is basically Martin Scorsese's New York in the seventies with garbage strikes and um, crime and, and super rats. And he's a, a, a strange troubled man who fancies himself a comedian. He wants to be a stand-up comedian, but he is uh, he does not understand how humor works. He has some kind of an undefined tick or uh pathology where he laughs at inappropriate times and uh the movie one by one takes things away from him his meds his support his uh groundedness in reality and then uh there's intrigue with his mother who insists that uh she was a lover to thomas wayne a billionaire in gotham for whom she used to work of course, Thomas Wayne is the father of Bruce Wayne, who is a child in this movie. So anyway, through a whole lot of happenstance, he ends up being the figurehead of a anti-rich movement among what appears to be almost the whole population, the 99% of Gotham City, uh, even though he's not willfully doing any of this. It's just kind of happening around him. He gets swept up in it. And then it gives us an ending where he becomes some version of Joker. So Dan, I have notes about my thoughts about this movie. I kind of had to approach it in three different tracks, um, as a superhero movie, as a character study and as a political thriller. Um, I don't want to go too long in any of those, but before I, you know, why don't you 
start us off with some of your reactions. Well, I am less organized with my reactions for sure. I didn't have a strong feeling toward the movie. Um, some people are really hating it. Some think it's brilliant. I think there are moments uh, cinematically that are effective that I enjoyed. Like, I think it's kind of iconic that dance down the stairway. I like him backstage at the talk show with the light through the back of the curtains. There's some prettiness there that I can appreciate. But what is this story? And who is this character? Why is this even about Joker? He could have been anybody. This could have been a story of someone's um, mental illness that going unchecked leads to violence. It doesn't have to have any relation to the Batman universe at all, technically. So why did they do this? I felt like um, you had said when we were messaging about this, that the Joker is entirely passive. And I hadn't thought of that while I was watching, but that is a major problem. When we have an anti-hero movie, there has to be some moment where he claims his evil and he has and he concocts some sort of plot that we're sort of hoping plays out so that we can see what ultimately happens, even if he ultimately gets defeated. But that's not what happens. It's just an accident and everyone else around him invites him into chaos or joins in what they think is a movement, even though it's unintentional. What does all of this mean? Yeah. What does it mean that... Um, Everyone in a supporting role around him who helps him or that he murders is black. When I was reading that review that was saying that the opening sequence with the kids and the sign was supposed to be a tip of the hat to the Central Park Five and the shootings on the subway really happened, but the victims were black. They're bringing up all of these um, race themes, but what does mm -hmm. it mean in this context? Because they never name it or really uh, give us any sort of feeling what how we're supposed to receive right. either the killings or what he's plotting. I heard a, I read a defense of the movie today that said it was so delightful to see this character as he gets off of his meds and away from professional help that he peels away the layers of confusion and timidity. And then he becomes this realized person, this agent of chaos. And I simply did not see that in this movie. No, not he, at it all. It was muddled, and, and and in the end, he just kind of he does to the last moment of the movie. He doesn't know what's going on, and then he's just like, "Oh, okay, sure, right. I'll be Joker." There's no forethought. There's no um, premeditation to anything. I don't get the sense of an agenda in this character at all. Even to the even to the last, we know Joker as a character, but he doesn't. Right. And so, what is his motivation? Even the uh, murder that happens in his apartment, the victims come to yeah. him. He wasn't planning right. that. I thought the stuff with the little person was distasteful. Mm -hmm. That's the only comic relief in the in the movie. I don't think I'm just being a virtue signaler there. That seemed to be out of left field and not having to do with the I plot. don't know, Dan. Woke culture is killing comedy. Maybe it is, but I'm saying... what. I, I just felt bewildered yeah. by what I was seeing. And then the final, his final act of violence on that talk show was so bizarre yeah. and so out of left field. Like in one way you see it coming and another way it's so cold. Yeah. And like the woman on the couch next right. to him who scolds him for yeah. his joke and she's kind of weird and to me out of tone with what we've seen mm -hmm. previously. That was... 
by that point, I just I just didn't know what was happening. And that anymore. was supposed to be, you know, that was clearly the taxi driver moment. But in Taxi Driver, there's this horrifying but somehow inevitable and dreadful climax to uh, that that feels completely natural to the character that feels it, it's horrible and you want to stop it but you you realize that you can't this was awkward and stilted it was a, a little bit funny or it felt like it thought it was funny in inappropriate ways and times um so i'm going to quickly go through my three categories of how of where i think yes. this movie doesn't um exactly click i also want to say i agree with you there's a lot to like here i love the style it's beautiful the use of color music it's a little on the nose it's a little repetitive i think it thinks it's a little more artsy than it is but and 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 joaquin phoenix's performance is entrancing and strange and very much worth seeing if you can handle a strange you know violent ugly movie such as this uh, okay so as a batman movie as a movie in the Batman DC Comics universe, I I found this just to be baffling. Now, another defense people make of it is any scene where you say, I didn't get this. Why did this happen? They'll point out, well, that happened in the comics. That happened in the Red Hood. That happened in the Killing Joke, whatever, you know. But to me, that doesn't make it good or make sense. That just means it's a reference. And this is posturing itself as this big r-rated breakout drama movie that everybody needs to see so i don't think we should have to rely on arcane references for the movie to make sense so we've already kind of covered some of this but he uh, is not a, a a willful a determined criminally brilliant agent of chaos like the joker is supposed to be he's a passive weirdo who takes every cue that's handed to him, whoever he happens to be around, whatever happens to spring up with no discernment or creativity beyond, you know, his, his look, I guess, at the end of the movie. Uh, and the idea of exploring the dark side of the Wayne family is a potentially very fascinating idea. But I don't I feel like this just set up a world where I would not want to see this Batman and this Joker fight. It's too tragic and complicated and weird. Uh, so as a Batman movie, it just feels, I think this is like the apotheosis of um, gritty movies where we like to, we're more nuanced now. It's a good impulse that we have to explore the more complicated sides of, of the, the legends and the stories and the tropes that we have. But sometimes when you go, when you go all out like this, you end up hitting a wall. I think, um, it's like in Star Wars when they take the stormtrooper's helmet off and suddenly we're empathizing with one stormtrooper. Now, how can you keep blowing up stormtroopers for all the Star Wars movies because you've let that out of the bag? And then there's also the fact that the Joker is not supposed to have an origin story. He's supposed to constantly lie about his origin. I suppose some people are saying this might not be the Joker. This whole thing might be in his head. Uh, that might be another interesting discussion is fan theories. Yeah, how did the... First off, how did in that middle of that big protest, how did he slip into that theater just away from all the police right. presence? And then at the end, how did the Wayne family end up at the cinema, I right. guess, to just easily walk out into an alley where there's such chaos and so many people around only to have one person notice right. them? It's the publicized day of the giant revolt and billionaire Thomas Wayne right. is going to go downtown and see Zorro the gay blade. Um, 
right. <laughs> which was the movie showing on the marquee, which is a reference to the original comic yeah. where they're seeing a Zorro movie in the 30s, but they're updating it to 1981 New York. Sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Who who are these people? What was their desperate? What's the desperation of the populace? As we know now, there's a 99%, but we're not very involved. We're not taking to the streets and doing violence and destruction in order to take down the 1%. Things haven't gotten to that place yet. So what has happened in this world where people feel they've got nothing left to lose so as to participate in violent, destructive revolt in the streets? And a lot of people are involved right. in it, yeah. killing the police and destroying property. That, that, that doesn't resemble a world we know quite right. yet. They need to describe that and and help us understand and maybe even have Joker, you know, come come across some of the people and understand their plight. Right. And this is I, I guess we should have already signaled that this is a spoilery discussion. But when he kills the three Wall Street douchebags on the subway, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of our world, even with our intense ideological and class divisions if the headline tomorrow was vigilante in wacky costume kills three wall street guys on subway i'm pretty sure that 90 something percent of the people you know in new york city would not take to the streets in response and say yeah let's keep this going i think so too that's you ridiculous. might get some snarky comments people from leftists think... you might get some inappropriate attitudes right. but you're not going to get this kind of almost unanimous revolt it's crazy yeah, everyone's like, oh, we should do what that guy just did. We, we They need to show the social situation and underlying upheaval that would that would cause people to respond that way. Yeah, because I didn't get and this it. is a good chance to talk uh, about the, the politics of the movie, because it's frustrating to me how the movie wants to leverage political attitudes on both sides, on all sides. But it also wants to maddeningly keep Joker so passive and kind of uh, naive to the point where he literally says at the end of the movie, oh, I'm not political. So he's on the subway and he the incident with the three guys begins with them uh, sexually harassing a woman. And Arthur is stepping in to defend this woman, something that nobody knows when it sparks the, the revolt. But he's not even getting involved because he's not out to take out some douchey wall street bros he's there you know he's already he's having a terrible day and then he actually does something noble and it turns into this insane incident but to me the movie wants to take it takes the idea of the joker and of the 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 rat infested filth of gotham city and says well what if we what if we uh just kind of transpose this severe class division and this this occupy wall street idea but it somehow keeps the Joker out of it. He's not even so smart and and above it all that he's playing everybody against each other. He's waltzing through the literally, usually waltzing through the middle of it all. And at the same time, the movie having appealed to the Occupy Antifa kind of thing, it also then depicts what is essentially lone wolf, mentally ill, uh, loner violence. But div completely divorced from ideology, constantly reminding you that the man has no ideology. And I found that kind of cowardly and stupid. Right. Well, there is no ideology. In that moment on the train, it seems at first that the beginning of the killing is self-defense. But then he finishes the job by hunting people down unnecessarily. And he had no reason for doing it. If someone is mentally ill and 
off their meds because they lose their coverage and they lose their counselor. You know, those are real political issues that can lead to a violent outcome in in some people or situations. But then they made him seem like he was intrinsically violent and not just a, a victim. So which is it? Yeah. And then the th- the third strand is just uh, the, the, the treatment of mental illness in the movie, which some people are applauding and saying that this is, you know, it's a depiction of what happens when we take away people's uh, support systems and, and safety nets. But I don't, I feel like it's kind of reckless the way that it, it uses, you know, it's, it, this is movie mental illness. When it needs to look cool, it looks cool. When it needs to be freaky, it's freaky. Um, when it needs to twist the plot up, it, it, it does that. And the idea that he becomes kind of focused and self-possessed to the degree that he does, which is not very much, uh, the more he gets away from help and medication, I'm not sure that that's a uh, delightful um, motif. But I don't know. I I guess that his performance is fascinating and, and 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 has its virtues but as with everything in this movie what it's trying to do and what it's trying to say remains muddled and confusing i agree um about the the treatment of mental illness uh, it could you know if someone is loses their meds loses their counselor they can just as easily isolate and go away from the world rather than become violent i think that if someone does become paranoid if they become violent or sadistic they own that evil at some point they latch onto it and believe some story in their head and become an active participant in it even if what's guiding them is their illness if as if they're possessed in some way right and he just never was there was there was no plan even the big climax wasn't a plan it didn't strike me that he had planned what he was going to do when he went on that talk show. That would have been a lot more interesting if we felt like he had some sort of a plan he was trying to carry out and we wanted to see whether or not he could do it. He seemed to just be going by the seat of yeah. his pants. Yeah, I am uh I'm running out of things to say about the movie, but I guess we should probably mention Zazy Beats um as an, a neighbor and a uh a love interest of sorts, except not so the movie has a bit of a a, a twist where um, he he appears to to begin a relationship with with a, a single mother in the same apartment building, and then uh, over time, it's revealed that it's happening entirely in his head. Um, I, I don't really have much to say about that. I just thought maybe she deserved a mention because she is in the movie. It was another thing that didn't really seem to go anywhere or contribute to the overall story in in a satisfying way. I wondered if maybe she was in his head, but I figured it could work either way. Um, I felt similarly about the about Frances Conroy as his mother. What was her purpose? In the end, I didn't get a clear picture as to whether she was lying because he got really upset with her when he stole that file, which was very easy to do, yeah, by the way. Right. Um, and, oh, they just read that over the counter for you, these top right. secret files. Anyway, he got it and he believed what was in the file. But when we're talking about the rich and the powerful, I mean, to me, it's just as possible if there's a sequel that it be revealed that what's his name? Thomas yeah. Wayne um, made false documents about right. him being adopted and tried to make her look crazy, um, ultimately institutionalizing her, sure. yeah. um, even though she was right and perhaps always telling the truth. Mm-hmm. 
And so it would end up that he would have killed her wrongly because she was the only good relationship or bit of warmth in his life. But the movie didn't define that or solve that mystery for right. us. We're just uh, he just takes it at face value that what's in the records is correct and just murders his mother. And the know? Joker, the Joker that I know, like he's always in control. He always has a master plan, even if it's insane and effed up. And, and I don't understand the character that we are meeting and that we're watching and, and that he's becoming. I think if it was not Joker, as you said uh, at the beginning of our conversation, if this had just been a movie, it still would be weird. I think it would still have issues. It still would have muddled messaging, but I guess I'm, I, I'm okay with them doing stuff like this. It's not sacrosanct to me. I don't, it's, uh, and, and let more directors do more interesting things with existing material. I'd rather have original uh, content at this point, but I just, I guess this just is not, uh, entirely successful to me. Two and a half stars. Yeah, I don't know where I'd even put it on a... I feel like a movie like this defies a star rating. I think about a movie like Sorry to Bother You that pushed the dystopia of the one versus the 99 in a interesting and gritty universe, and the movie was about that. Um, it was. I feel like Joker was trying for something like that, but it didn't spend any time on it because it was too interested yeah. in Joker. And I thought that Phoenix's performance was, I mean, it wasn't trancing, but it was just weird. I don't know if it was good or not. It, 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 was, it was just a lot going on. I feel like it was right. spaghetti on the wall. Yeah. Interesting to talk about. I will be disappointed if this dominates at award time. I don't know if it will be on just a nomination. I don't think it can. Yeah. I mean, best actor hmm. is tied to best picture usually. And I can't imagine people getting behind this for best yeah. picture when you it can won only the pick five. Film festival, but weird things happen at festivals. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this was supposed to be a quick discussion that lasted 46 minutes so far. Yeah. Well, it, it gave us a yes. lot to talk about. So there's always that. I like it. When Content is right up there that. with merch as stuff you want to see. Right. Uh, but I think that exhausts what I have to say about Joker. I'm glad I saw. Oh, I guess the other thing that needs yeah, to be me mentioned is uh, the police officers with AR-15s that were uh, flanking the entrance to the theater I, I attended. Was there any police presence at your theater? But there was what appeared to be a rent-a-cop with a visible gun at the front door. But um, I don't know if he would have helped us. You were not allowed to come dressed well, yeah, as Joker. Yeah, they didn't Joker. come inside the theater. Right. Yeah, they, they they said no Joker costumes or makeup, but you could wear other Halloween costumes. So, oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> I'm the Riddler. That's totally different. All right, all right. Uh, that's that. Then, um, thanks for listening. This has been our podcast, and uh, you can follow me and Dan on Twitter. You can follow the show at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Our music's by Jonah Rapino. And um, we'll be back next week. Dan, it's going to be your selection. We'll talk about a, a revisited movie next time. Let me know at your leisure what title we should watch. At my earliest convenience. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye.